Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 15, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Neil Archer Roan, the man behind the blog, A Passion for Pipes. You can find Neil's blog online at apassionforpipes.com. Neil is not only a really great guy, he's an informed collector with a fantastic insight into pipes and a poetic writing style that makes his blog a real joy to read. The following podcast is brought to you by Jay Rinaldi Pipes. Time is of the essence, friend. John Rinaldi's work is beginning to really move quickly. Find one of John's beautiful creations that speaks to you today while his work is still available at very affordable prices. You'll love your new Jay Rinaldi pipe as much as I love mine. John's eye for color, texture, and form is very evident in each work of art. Check these pipes out today at jrinaldipipes.com. I was able to catch up with Neil on December 19, 2008. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. With us on the line today, we have the man behind A Passion for Pipes, Neil Archer Roan. Neil, welcome to the show. Hello, Ole. Um, Neil, tell us a little bit about your blog, A Passion for Pipes. It's uh, pretty much what it's described to be, and that is a, a blog about pipes and about pipe collecting uh, and about the people behind the business and behind the, the making of pipes and, and the collecting side of it. You know, it. I spent many years as an artist and also as a presenter and producer in the performing arts, and and uh, I think that I approach pipe collecting and and thinking about pipes uh, and the artisans that produce them very much like I think about the the performing arts uh, and their relationship to the artists that make them what they are. Uh, so I I see. Uh, smoking pipes especially, artisanal pipes, and older, really fine uh, factory-made pipes as as little works of art and craft. And uh, to me, they're obviously more and less beautiful ones and more and less skilled artisans. And I'm really interested in in exploring um, what makes these people tick and what makes them bring the innovations that they come up with to the general public and just kind of seeing how those innovations are uh, adopted or imitated by other makers. It's a source of, of uh, great joy for me in the hobby, and it's also a way that I learn because I I can't write it without learning. Yeah. I have to find stuff out to be able to write about it. And uh, how long ago did you start the blog? Um, it, I started it about a year and a half ago, so it's it's a relatively new thing, though I have posted a lot um, since I started it. For there were some weeks, I think actually quite a few weeks um, in the first year of the blog where I was writing, you know, five or six posts a week, which is a lot. Um, and it sort of actually got a little bit out of hand, and I had I needed to pull back. But um, I've done 263 posts in a year and a half, which is, and some of them are really long and pretty extensive. The thing I love most about the blog, though, is not so much my posts as it is the comments of the readers. And there are a lot of readers of the blog. I um, frequently get emails from people around the world. I'm always surprised to find out how many people read this thing. And, I mean, it's translated and, you know, posts are are, uh, put up on other sites and places like France and 
Lebanon and Russia. So it's it's pretty interesting actually that the pipe how connected the pipe community is. And I've met people from all over the world as a result of this. That's sort of a side benefit. Wow, that's that's really neat. Yeah, you know, when I first started doing the podcast, um, a, a few people said you've really got to talk to uh, to Neil and and check out a passion for pipes. And it's such a great blog. I, you do such a a wonderful job uh, putting that together. What was the impetus to start the blog? Well, I have a business blog that I used to be very active in, and which I haven't really been active in in a while. And part of the reason is that. Um, when you're in consulting like I am, um, a lot of the most interesting subjects that you can write about actually come up as, come about as a result of the work with clients. And um, they take a dim view of you writing about them and their problems <laughs> at a public <laughs> forum. And uh, so I found myself often having to uh, write about the theoretical. And, you know, frankly, I, I don't think that's really very useful to people who read it because I... I think that the most useful information is information that has a great deal of particularity and texture and grain. And so to have, for, to have that kind of gritty real-world quality, you know, you've got to name names and and uh, talk about real problems. And so that didn't really work too well. But in the process of, uh, of writing my business blog and launching it and doing it, I learned a lot about blogs. And actually in my business, one of the things that I have to stay on top of is our trends in new media, uh, which and you know the way people relate to the internet and to the various kinds of, of uh, products that are on it, including blogs. So I do a lot of research about you know what makes blogs and what makes websites successful and effective, and and actually um, I started a passion for pipes not only to uh, to have fun with with my hobby of of uh, pipe collecting, but also to use the blog itself as a laboratory to test some theories and ideas I had about interactivity and learning, um, and adult learning and participation. So the, the impetus for doing it was uh, was just as much my desire to learn and, uh, about and to apply particular principles to find out if in fact they work, or if they're if they're important or not. Um, to a particular highly defined segment, and, this, and pipe collectors, I think there's a great deal of homogeneity in the segment uh, of pipe collecting in terms of the you know demographic and psychographic characteristics of the of the people who are doing it. Um, I wanted to find out if those things are true, and you know to a great extent they really are true. Of course, I found out things that aren't true too, and. Uh, I think one of the interesting things for me is I, I never really know what posts are going to catch fire and really take off. I know when I feel like I've written one that's really good, and sometimes I'm, I will work a week on a post. I mean, literally, I'll, I'll start at 5 in the morning and spend 3 to 4 hours a day for a solid 6 or 7 days. I know when I've written a great post, but the, great, the posts that I think are great are not necessarily the ones that provoke the greatest conversation. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me is what people, other people find interesting and the ideas that have currency in our hobby. And uh, what, are, what are some of the ones that you remember that have just really taken off that maybe surprised you a little bit? Well, um, I wrote a post called um, Addison Davidson's Amazing 2,000-Year-Old Set, um, which just was absolutely astonishing. And the, how fast it garnered readers 
um, and the conversation about it. I it found it very, very interesting because what Adam did was he took a, a lamp from uh, essentially the, the Middle East that's 2,000 years old and crafted a pipe and briar to match that oil lamp. You know, and it's a, it's it's very interesting. I was able to write about the oil lamp and also write about the pipe. And but Adam also made a stand of slate, and it was just absolutely gorgeous and astonishing. And you know, the, it has like it's had 1,131 hits for a blog post, which you know isn't a, a you know the gigantic huge amount that uh, that some have, but it had also you know a, a ton of comments. Now, you know some. In terms of comments, um, there are particular posts. Um, I wrote a, a, a post uh, called A Letter to Artisans, um, which uh, also is uh, called A Letter to Artisans from My Alter Ego, um, which had just a gigantic number of comments. I mean, it was in, the, I think, over 20 and uh, long ones. Uh, but yet, you know, it only had 501 hits compared to the one for Adam, which was almost double that. What's interesting is that sometimes you have a great many comments. In other words, the community of readers really participates in whatever the discussion is. And sometimes um, you have a, a huge number of hits and, and, you know, a good number of comments. I wrote a, a post particularly on this last fall called Autumn on the Potomac, which was all about essentially my um, reticence uh, about smoking my pipe in front of my young niece and nephew, uh, which caused 16 comments and a long conversation about the appropriateness of that. And, I mean, you can sort of see why people would want to talk about that because um, pipe smokers, I think, feel a lot of criticism from and social pressure about smoking in public, um, and I think the you know feel somewhat defensive about it, and feel you know that that it, it's really not so bad, or they wouldn't do it. And and in fact, it's funny. I I don't smoke very much, but you know my, my doctor and my the people who are involved in my healthcare laugh at me and say that I'm like not a real smoker because I don't I don't smoke cigarettes. I, I you know I smoke my pipe pretty rarely, and I don't inhale, and, well, you know, pipe smokers all know that. The problem is the general public looks at a pipe smoker and, you know, and sees them as uh, a manifestation of big tobacco's evil influence on society. So I wrote about, uh, about you know, just my feeling that as a responsible adult, being around impressionable adolescents, you know, that I just decided that I didn't want, really want to smoke around them. I didn't want to signal to them that, that, I, as an adult, that they probably don't admire as much as I wish, that thought that was a good idea. There's a big conversation about that. Um, another post that had a lot of comments was about writing about a really beautiful pipe that I bought that, in fact, um, was a, not a good smoker, a sour smoker. So, you know, you you don't know when people are going to uh, are going to really pick up steam and, and write a lot. Um, the only predict predictable time, I think, when I hear a lot of people talk or comment, rather, is when I do a, a profile of an artisan. Um, those are a lot of work. I mean, I, I make several phone calls. I tape them. Um, I do an interview. I have to figure out the angle and then write the story. And um, those always attract a lot of, a lot of uh, readers and a lot of 
of comments. And I guess that's sort of it in a nutshell. What I find really interesting, though, is I know, like, when I write about essentially low-end pipes, factory pipes, it's, it's like I'm yelling in a forest and nobody hears. My readership is interested in artisanal pipes and good tobaccos and pipe collecting. And, and they're, you know, even though I feel, uh, I, ha I have some interest actually in some factory-made pipes and in the phenomenon that occasionally, you know, I, I stumble across a factory-made pipe that's just absolutely a fantastic uh, smoking implement that's also beautiful because you never know what nature's going to give you in the wood. Um, I write about that because I think it's important. There are a lot of pipe smokers out there who don't buy high grades, who love their pipes. My readership doesn't care about that, and they don't get involved in it, and they don't, they're not emotionally invested. So I think a part of the success of the blog, to the extent that it is successful, is, uh, is knowing the readership and keeping what they care about in mind. Wow, that's, that's really interesting that this wasn't only just a, a blog to kind of explore a hobby of yours, but it was also, this is also kind of a, uh, an experiment tank, really. Well, you know, I've done that my whole life, only, and everything that I've done is that even, even when I was working in institutions, is, is I would see de decisions that I would make as essentially um, opportunities to learn and the places that I worked in as labs. And I think that, for me, that's kept me interested in what I'm doing because uh, I'm keenly interested in evaluating whatever I do for its impact and for for its quality and um, it, especially, you know, when I make a mistake because sometimes, you know, there, there are two huge opportunities to learn in life. One is when we fail, but the other is when we succeed. And so if we're not paying attention to, you know, the forces around us and the dynamics of what we do and the relationship between what we do and what people think about what we do and how they react with it. It's very difficult to to understand our place in the world and, and how we impact the world, uh, either positively or negatively. So for me, this has been a, uh, it's been a way of life and it's how I think about almost everything that I do. So it's very natural for you to kind of combine these, these two different, uh, uh, ways of looking at things in, into one and uh, make it this this wonderful kind of hybrid that that works not only for exploring the hobby um, but also for gathering data basically exactly and you know another there's another kind of complication with this blog that I'm not sure that most people think about because they go there to read it I intentionally when I started decided that I was this needed to be uh, an art intent blog. In other words, there needs to be lots of illustration and photography. What that's done is that it, it's it's made it necessary for me to really spend a lot of time thinking about, about the images that I'm going to use and how those images are going to add value to the blog. And it's also forced me to learn photography. Um, when I started this blog, you know, I, I was interested. I mean, I love taking pictures, but I didn't know really anything about photography. And uh, I had a fairly, you know, mediocre camera that, you know, took okay pictures um, when I first started. And and in this journey, I have, you know, I, ha I have learned so much about photography and, you know, now literally have a studio set up, you know, to take the images that I'm taking in and still trying to uh, figure out how to photograph pipes. They're extremely hard to photograph. 
uh, it, to photograph well. I mean, you can take pictures of pipes, but to avoid reflections and to really um, to help people actually see and experience the artisan's aesthetic from a particular vantage point, to provide the, the right color combinations and to to set that in text in some kind of an inner image uh, text counterpoint that creates a synergy for the purpose of the experience of the reader is really important to me. And sometimes when I, you know, when I haven't blogged so often, it's because I am stuck. I can't figure out the art that I need to do. Um, and that's tough <laughs> because sometimes I, I am literally do not know uh, how to create art that is going to be beautiful and meaningful for people. Do you have a favorite entry so far in the history of your blog? I know you talked about the Adam Davidson one, and that certainly got a lot of hits. But is there one that really sticks out in your mind that's like, wow, that's, uh, you know, something special happened there? Well, I think the one, I don't know that I have, uh, that I have a particular favorite, um, because there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different kinds of entries. I'm, I occasionally allow myself to be quite personal. And I, for instance, when my mom died, I, I wrote about uh, my trip to her home and my and my trip subsequently my trip to uh, her memorial service. You know, one of the things that makes a blog successful, according to the academics that study it, is that it has a strong uh, personal voice. And that the and that the reader gets a, a real um, sense of who the writer is, what they care about, and what makes them tick. So, occasionally, I will allow myself to write from that vantage point, even though I don't do it that often. And those are, um, for me, their favorite posts because they are places where I allow myself to be really vulnerable and revealing of who I am to the people that read me. And then there are other posts that I, that I like, that I'm proud of because they were so hard <laughs> to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think the most, the single most challenging post that I ever wrote was about Brad Pullman, the American artisan who lives in Oregon, right outside Jacksonville. I, I think that one of the reasons that that's a favorite is that, you know, Brad's story is almost epic. It's so big, and there are so many surprises in it. And it was his life has been in many ways such a struggle to get to the level that he's at now. And trying to figure out how to tell that story, the arc of his personal narrative from the time that he began, you know, working. Uh, in a pipe factory with people like J.T. Cook to where he is now as a as a maker of our single artisanal pipes um, was extremely difficult. That and it's a very long post and it took me forever to write it. And you know I found myself going back over and over again and listening to Brad's uh, interview. And the name of the post, by the way, is called the reincarnation of Brad Pullman. And literally, that's what happened. I mean, the man literally. Had reinvented or, and came back from the dead in terms of pipe making, and uh, but I mean he was he started making pipes before J.T. Cook started making pipes. You know you look at his work today and it is absolutely astonishing. It's so beautiful. It's so exquisite. And 
um, he is he is in many ways um, has a much more artistic temperament than an artisanal temperament and and had such a hard time getting as good as he is that telling that story um, and you know conjuring uh, the reality of that struggle for people. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that I that I wrote his story because I think his story is really one that's worth telling, not just so that people are interested in his pipes, but that people understand the power of never giving up and the power of vision and the power of of humility. Brad kept himself, I mean, you know, late in in, in his adult life, he was still approaching pipe making with a beginner's mind. And he was going to people, you know, 20 years younger than he is, you know, and saying, please help me learn, help me understand how to be better. Knowing that inside him, he had all this great work, but that he didn't know how to, how to manifest it in the real world. And I, I think that for people to learn that and to understand the power of that, of those ideas and the, how it can transform their own lives is really an, an astonishing thing. That story about the artist's struggle is a great one, and and it's it's one that um, um, I definitely can identify with as an artist myself in a, in a different respect. And um, all of the the kind of self doubt that goes along with that. And um, I went to art school and college and. And uh, I'm a abstract artist, and all of that kind of um, stuff that you struggle with every single day um, is kind of part and parcel of what makes you an artist. It's it's um, you know kind of the good and the bad. And, and when I when I did Brad's interview, um, I definitely you know I saw that in him that that artist struggle that that was very um, identifiable to me, you know, I, and, um, you don't always get that in, in folks and you don't always see that and you don't always get to hear, um, another artist kind of vocalize the same kind of ideas that, that, you know, are, are so real and so true with that, that, that kind of struggle. So yeah, I, I uh, it's, that's really neat to hear you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there about, um, about Brad in that way. That's the the way that you are able to uh, really go in depth with these folks and craft some really wonderful words that that build into their stories is really great. Well, thank you, Ollie. It's you know it's something that that I think is you know it, it means a lot to me. I'm, I'm for you know reasons that are that are uh, probably pretty idiosyncratic and weird. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, if we stop and think about how important is the manufacturer or craftsmanship of smoking pipes uh, as compared to almost anything else in the world that people devote their attention to. And, you know, I, I think that there are doubtless and a lot of people out there who would say, you know, this is like, you know, trivial with a capital P because, you know, there are. I mean, this is almost anti-pop culture. I mean, in pop culture, smoking is bad, but in certain parts of pop subculture, smoking is cool, right? Um, the crafting of pipes and briar, I mean, it, it's esoteric, and I think um, 
you know, tiny in in comparison to to some other things. And I'm sure, I mean, I, I'm reminded of the time when I was a young undergraduate musician, uh, my advisor saying to me, you know, because he, I was trying to make a choice between being a singer and a classical guitarist because I was at university on a voice scholarship, looking at me, and, and I love the guitar, and he said, why, why, with your voice and talent, would you choose to be a guitar player? I mean, what, you know, why would you choose that? And I think some people might say, well, why would you um, take all your time to write about something that very few people are interested in reading and you know, almost nobody cares about. I think that's a legitimate question, and I think it, you know, it's, it is, you know, part and parcel of what I try to explore in this hobby, and that is, you know, why this? Um, why do people care about it? What is that thing in them that uh, creates the heartbeat of their interest, and what propels them forward? Um, you know, I don't really care whether people think I'm wasting my time or not. I love it, and you know, it's none of their business. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you. Know, um, but I I do recognize that there are a lot of things that I could write about. But you know, there aren't. I don't think there are very many people doing what you're doing and what I'm doing, which is essentially you know documenting the life, culture, and perspective of people involved in this little pipe world. And what's really interesting, you know, I have a, like a lot of other people, I have a Facebook page, and, and on my Facebook page I have a friendship wheel. A friendship wheel is essentially um, visually depicts the relationship between your friends. You know, I looked at my friendship wheel the very first time. You know, I have a huge number of people in the pipe world who are in my friendship wheel in, on Facebook, and that portion of my friendship wheel, the network is so, there are so many lines that it's almost completely solid between all those people and each other. I mean, it's literally filled in. It looks like somebody poured water into <laughs> this circle or something because it's all filled in with lines. Yeah. And yet the relationship between all my other friends and each other is there are very few people or they're very, the network is very sparse. And so visually, what I see when I look at this is I see depicted the truth of, of our pipe community, which is that we are incredibly connected to each other, and we're connected to each other worldwide. Everybody knows everybody. It's a small, um, intimate little world where I think um, I think the, the thing that, that keeps people in it and helps people love it is that um, there is this real strong sense of community and belonging uh, inside this pipe world. And, you know, it's um, that sense of community is, I think, a, an extremely important part of, of um, what makes this kind of a magical thing. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, That sense of community is, is so um, prevalent and evident whenever... Uh, I'm I'm in a group of folks who are all pipe smokers, you know, and um, when I went to um, the Chicago show, which was the first big show I had ever gone to this past year, um, it was really amazing to see the camaraderie there uh, between all the different people and to feel that that kind of sense of belonging that you that you talked about. It's um, it's really something. I think there's probably a pipe gene out there that um, not only uh, 
gets us interested in collecting, but also makes us a um, uh, a caring family. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's right. I mean, I mean, how many communities do people belong to these days that are as close and as big and as geographically dispersed as ours? Um, you know, community is the meaning of community. I think has changed so much. Um, it used to be something that was so geographically defined. You know, people had their community was where they lived, and it was real world. Um, it was and it was defined by, you know, their church and their civic involvement and service clubs that they belonged to, and their family's network of friends and other family. You know, today we see communities being defined in virtual terms. And, you know, that's been one of my goals with a passion for pipes is to actually further the sense of community between and among my readership. Um, and I think it's really interesting because I can tell you they, they have gotten to know each other and many of them do know each other and they will have long extended conversations. I mean, they'll, you know, five or six back and forth in the comment stream. And that's kind of how I see my blog. I see each post as a catalyst for a conversation among the people who are the commenters. And, you know, I mean, I write the blog, but what do I read? I read the comments. That's what I care about. Right. And, I, that's what, and, you know, when people say, well, how do you judge whether you've done a good job or not? You know, I judge how I, whether I've done a good job or not based on the number of comments and the quality of the comments that I'm getting from the readers that are there. Um, and whether or not I've been able to to create a conversation, you know, I have a lot to learn still. I think I think there I think I've got some real weaknesses in my blog. I think one of my weaknesses is that I write so much and so comprehensively about what I write about that I don't make space for other people to um, to say things that I've already written. And I think that's a weakness. I mean, if one's goal is to create space for other people to have a conversation and to show up in the world than to, you know, take away that opportunity is counterproductive in that goal. So in my own learning, I see how I have to become better at creating interest and provoking conversation without, you know, foreclosing the possibility of it by taking all the points. It's a fascinating hub that you've built here. To see that uh, grow the way it has is is really neat too, and I know that uh, that's got to feel good too, as far as um, you know when these folks not just um, comment on the entries, but also when you get to see them in person and the comments that you must receive, um, not just by email, but when you see folks, has got to uh, be pretty overwhelming too. I would guess. It's yeah, it's a great feeling. I mean, for me, I think one of the one of the most fun things was that the Chicago show where you and I first met was to actually see all of these people, collectors and artisans, wearing my I have a passion for pipes button. Was That was really a great thing. And I'm, frankly, one of the things I'm proudest of is that so many pipe makers read my blog, and I get emails from so many of them um, around the world. To me, if artisans are interested in reading what I'm writing about, that's a high compliment to what I'm doing, though I don't know how they really feel about it. I mean, I get, I know how some of them feel about it, but you know, I, I think, I'm sure that there's that there's criticism that I don't hear because 
there aren't that many media outlets for artisans and I'm one of them and they probably worry about offending me and they probably are smart to, to think that way. Um, having been in press and public relations, I understand the wisdom of that. At the same time, I, you know, I really hope that I do know what they think and I, and I hope that they do feel like it's, you know, advancing interest in some, in, and advancing aesthetic literacy and pipe literacy for their, among their customers and helping create future ones. When did you start smoking pipes and, um, also, was that when you started collecting? Um, when I was 18, I did. Um, the, I was, you know, a, a young man. And at that time, you know, pipes were were uh, still pretty popular. And, you know, there were a lot of people on university campuses who, who smoked pipes. And, you know, I, I had, I suppose, in my own mind, if you'd asked me then, I would have told you, yes, I was collecting because I had, you know, seven or eight pipes and uh, tried to buy the best ones that I could, but I didn't know very much about them and uh, certainly uh, was not buying artisanal pipes. In fact, didn't really know that uh, anything about the world of artisanal pipes in those days. My beginnings were, were really like a lot of young men's uh, beginnings, you know, modest, uh, though I, you know, I managed to stumble on buying some really good pipes that are really good smokers, of which I still have today. Uh, Sheraton's and Sassini's, uh, 7LA's, uh, and I have to say, you know, the Sassini is, uh, that's desperately in need of a stem repair right now. Uh, a bent billiard is one of the best pipes um, I've ever owned, and, you know, I, I'm so happy, you know, almost 40 years later that I still have it. I didn't really start collecting that. It was many years later before I started collecting. And, and like, you know, many other people, you know, my interest in collecting has really, have really evolved and changed as I've learned more. My relationship with pipe smoking was, you know, like so many guys, I was, you know, starting out smoking drugstore blends and trying things out and, and uh, didn't really have friends that smoked a pipe at the t- time that I started. I was pretty much alone in it. So, you know, I it was something that I did when I studied or when I, you know, take a walk. Having the experience of, uh, of smoking tobaccos that would just absolutely turn me green and keep me off the pipe a week. <laughs> yeah. Bad drugstore blends that... Yeah. You know, that some some pipe guys today cling to and defend in their own particular uh, tone of high dudgeon. Yeah, this is probably a tough question because it's a tough question for everybody. But at the moment, anyway, and you probably don't have a, a, a favorite among all of them, but you have a favorite at the moment that you keep coming back to as far as a pipe. You know, I have quite a few favorites. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I, I'm. I, it's interesting you bring this up because I've been working on this post, which has been very hard for me. Um, and it started off with with essentially called being called a top ten list. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm I've had to make it the uh, the top twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be. I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to title it. It may be called the Piper's Dozen or something like that, but. I've decided that every year I'm going to have a post at the end of the year that that says what the smoker of the year, or the, my overall best new pipe acquisition for the year, my best estate acquisition. Um, 
the most promising young pipe artists and best art value for artisanal pipes. What I think the best classic shape innovation artist and discovery of the year, you know, essentially like a top 10 list uh-huh. where I'm going to talk about each of those things. And so what I hear you talking about is number one on the list, which is, you know, what do I think my smoker of the year is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to say that it is a small spaghetti bamboo um, by Adam Davidson. It weighs almost nothing. It is absolutely amazing. It is it is really beautiful and very light. It has a small bowl capacity. Um, but it's and the reason that, that I'm making that particular pipe the smoker of the year is because. I fell in love with it sort of instantly and, and literally have to force myself to stop using it. But it's not, you know, there are certainly, the thing is I, I find interesting is that I think the, the overall best smoking pipes that are made uh, out there consistently are, are actually by Will Purdy. They are, I, I don't know if you've ever had one or smoked one, but they are perfect, all of them. I, actually, and, I do not have a Will Purdy yet, and Will, if you're listening, uh, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know Will is it, it, to me I I don't understand why Will Purdy's pipes don't cost three thousand dollars and why there isn't a line of, a mile long. I, I really don't because to me he has a very he has a really authentic voice. He doesn't make very many pieces. That he has a shape vocabulary that is instantly recognizable, but more than that, I don't know exactly how he does what he does, but they are unbelievable. And you know, I have a I have a Nana Everson, which is also just fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, it's almost as good as Will Purdy's pipes. I've had a lot of conversations with people, sort of very private, because people don't talk about this, but you know. I mean, the thing is, is that people say, well, how could they be that much better? You know, and and there is this concept called the articulate pipe. And, and I've written a post called that. And I, and I want to tip my hat to Greg Pease because this is really his term and I don't want to take it without honoring it, the source. Um, but there is, there is another level. I mean, there's one thing for a pipe to have good engineering, for it to have a good draw, for it, you know, to for every for the tobacco to burn to the bottom, et cetera. But there is another threshold, and that is when the pipe actually, um, when the engineering of the pipe and and the way it is made actually um, intensifies and amplifies the component tobacco leaves in the blend and makes it possible to taste them in a more pronounced way. I mean, it's 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 not unlike you know a great chef who knows how to combine flavors that cause the intensity of each flavor to be complemented by the rest of the flavors. That's what Will's pipes do. I mean, they are, they are articulate. I think there is, uh, you know, there are certainly many, many great smoking pipes out there. Um, I mean, frankly, most art- artisans make, you know, pipes that, are, that smoke very, very well, but that sort of next level, that articulateness, where there is this delivery, this sort of in the zone delivery of of the tobacco is is something that is I I think another threshold, and um, 
you know, that my experience is that, that that's what Will has been able to do. And, you know, I have no idea how he does it. I've looked and looked and looked at his pipes as has Greg and, and, uh, you know, and you talk to other people who are astute collectors and of both pipes and tobaccos, people like Erwin Van Hoven, um, you know, or Van Hove, excuse me. And they, they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, the, I would tell you that the the most intelligent, discriminating, um, astute people worldwide in this hobby will they will come together, and if you ask them this question, they'll tell you give the same answer I am. And you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, Will is Will's work remains pretty affordable, um, and he is somebody that is you know not talked about and sort of oohed and awed about um, as are other people who are sort of next best, the next best thing hot pipe makers out there. I mean, he's kind of in the background, this quiet guy, but uh, uh, but I'm telling you, they are, they are astonishing. And, you know, it's hard for me to say that, too, Oli, because I feel great loyalty and support and affection for many, many artisans who make fantastic pipes. Um, but when you start, when we start talking about, okay, let's talk about the, let's talk about the, the gestalt of, you, you know, artistic value, um, originality, uh, balance and comfort and aesthetic value. And you start putting those things together and, and creating appraisals, um, you know, I, I think it starts, you know, the, the field starts narrowing pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say, by the way, that there aren't pipes out there that are very, that are articulate and that are great pipes. Um, I mean, that the My Spaghetti Bamboo by Adam is a very, very good example of a great piece. Jack Howell's pipes are unbelievably good smokers. Alex Floros engineering is incredible. And they're, I mean, I have a nose warmer that he made me at a 50-year-old Algerian briar that is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I've got a Peterson, which costs very little, uh, that is also a very articulate and wonderful pipe. So we have many examples of, of you know, the of articulate pipes out there that really deliver a great experience. The thing I think that we have to consider is, you know, when we look at, you know, particular artisan or, or when we start making comparisons and contrasts, is you know, where is that, where where is that quality bulletproof and consistent mm-hmm. um, in in a body of work as opposed to you know occasionally happening, right? Do, and that to me that's the, you know, that's why I am amazed by what Will does, and that's why my collection. You know, I just literally tried him for the first time two years ago because I had never had one of his pipes, and I was so blown away, you know, that I have now, I think, in, you know, what amounts to 18 months, I think I have a lot of them. Wow. Um, And they're, you know, and I have what I'm, I'm trying to amass the best possible examples of every shape that he makes. So, I mean, that's how impressed I am. And, you know, I've got, 
I, I think people who know, who are familiar with my collection know that I have a lot of pipes from a lot of people. Yeah. The collector that you are, when you decide you're going to buy a pipe, or, or let's say you're, you're at a show or, or browsing online or something, and, and you stumble across somebody that maybe you're not familiar with their work yet, or maybe they're a newcomer, what makes a pipe one that you personally would buy? What makes that pipe stand out to you and go, yeah, this, this really needs to be in my collection. Is there, um, or are there some, um, kind of, uh, defining, uh, bits and pieces that together make sense in your personal collection? Well, I think the, you know, we all have things that we like and dislike in terms of the looks of pipes. Um, and, you know, those are very subjective considerations. And so I'll try, I'm going to answer your question um, from a subjective point of view because I think that's what you're asking. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm first off, I believe that shape is the, is the most important uh, thing that I look at first. Um, and I'm really interested in... Uh, in the ways that people take shape and innovate with it and make it more interesting. And um, let me give you an example of someone that I just discovered literally about, you know, a little more than a month ago, a, a pipe artisan named Viktor Yashtalov who lives in St. Petersburg. I, got, I received an email out of the blue, in, at, you know, that was obviously translated by Google from Russian to English because it was very convoluted, basically asking me, you know, could I please go look at the pipe sites in Russia? And I should tell you that when it comes to going to any Russian website, I don't go. In fact, I block. Uh, on most of my business web, we block anything coming in with a .ru suffix because of the really bad experiences that a number of my colleagues have had. But I forgot to do this with a passion for pipes email, so I decided to I would go look because there was a pipe site and I was curious. Well, I went to this site, and at the top of the site is a Zulu, which is one of my favorite shapes. My handle in the world is Zulu Collector. And I looked at this, and it, it was absolutely spectacular. The shape language, it was, it's a short... Um, it, you know, I wouldn't call it a, a nose burner, but I'd call it definitely it's nose nose warmerish. You know, um, you know, four and a half inches, stocky, muscular, beautiful lines, um, amazing plateau, fantastic staining, gorgeous straight grain, looked like bo a bonard grained pipe, incredible, beautiful detailed shank um, flock, and and amazing stem work and I and uh, you know probably 15 photos of this thing from every conceivable angle unbelievable bird's eye on the top on the bowl top and on the shank bottom um, and I bought the pipe instantly um, which is really if you you know given all my prejudices about buying anything and I mean I wound up having to wire money to a Russian bank and waiting five weeks and blah 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 blah, blah to get this thing um, and I'm here to tell you, it is absolutely astonishing. So, you know, I I looked at the I look at the shape, and then inside that shape, I look at the way the artisan has actually tasked the wood and read the block, the briar block, 
as he placed the block in, in the, the pipe in the block in a way that takes advantage of the shape. I looked very carefully at the stem work. Um, I don't like to buy pipes online, honestly, Oli. Um, if I hear a lot about a particular artisan, uh, I will, you know, I will buy one and I will try it um, just to see what I think. Um, like I'm, I'm, I don't know the Cavici pipe, and I'm very curious about them <laughs> because I know a lot about Claudio Cavici. Uh, but things I couldn't have known about the Shastalov, like when I got it, like the chamber, the inside of the chamber is as glassy smooth as the outside which is something there's no way I could know. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'm not unlike a lot of other people, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the way artisans actually um, have a point of view and begin to develop a language. And I sub subsequently learned, within the case of Yashilov, that for a while he was imitating, you know, he would take shapes of other artisans like Lars Everson or... Uh, whomever, and he would make a pipe uh, imitating that shape. And some people will criticize him for that. I find that hysterical that people would criticize him because imitation is the first stage in any great artist's uh, you know, phases of development. Imitation is, is at the top of them, and it was true for Beethoven, it was true for Mozart, you know? And so why shouldn't it be true for Yashtalov? Um, and uh, you know, the guy, I sub, I talked to Alex Floroff about him, because, and Alex, of course, knows him uh, from the Russian pipe forums, and Alex told me in those uncertain terms that he thought the guy was very talented and, and uh, was a friend of his, and Alex, because he speaks Russian, helped me work through this. Um, and again, here you see the great example of the pipe community. I mean, Alex Floroff is a great artisan, and maybe you know, one of the most virtuosic carvers. I mean, he makes the pipes with chisels and does things that literally nobody else does um, out there, helping me buy a pipe from somebody else, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I have a collection of Floroffs. Yeah. So, you know, I, to me, you know, it's, it's not, you know, is this, you know, and I, I should say I looked at the Yashtalov, I looked at all, all, many of Yashtalov's other pipes to get a sense of whether this was just a one-time thing, it was a good pipe, or the guy has real chops in terms of, of carving across the board. So, and I saw that he did. So I look for, I look for a technical, compositional, and executional um, competency. But I'm very interested in the, does the artisan have a strong point of view? Is, does, is he developing his own shape language? Is it showing up across a variety of pieces? Um, does he know how to place the pipe in a block? The, those are the things that I think about. Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, no, that's great. The more information, the better. I love it. As much as you look at in a pipe and as a, um, a very informed collector that you are, what are some of the things that, some some bits of wisdom that you can pass on um, uh, carvers out there that you would like to see them, maybe that you would like to see them do, or maybe some things that um, you pick up on because kind of like a forest for the trees kind of thing, um, you can see it because you're um, outside looking in. Um, do you have any uh, kind of bits of, of info to, to pass on to those folks that, as far as carvers? Well, you know, there's a lot. I have... 
endless amounts of advice. That's what I do for a living. And, and believe me, I think a lot of artisans are so sick of my advice that they're probably <laughs> putting their fingers in their ears, even as I speak, or even maybe down their throat, um, <laughs> as they as they hear your question. Um, I think you know. I think first and foremost, um, the the first thing I would say to most pipe carvers is um, they really need to think about their market because I think that I think there are extremely talented carvers out there who have uh, who are pricing their work at a level that it is impossible for them to build an audience at because they don't understand that um, they have not earned the they have not earned a, a significant enough share of the market that they can they can practice the pricing the way they do and you know they hate me talking about this because everybody feels like well if you sell your pipes at that price then that's what they're worth you know we're talking about strategy here the fact that you want somebody can sell a pipe to a lot of money once to one person or um, doesn't mean that you're going to build a market it means that you sold the pipe and it doesn't prove anything any more than going you know going outside when it's raining and um, standing under a bush uh, and not getting wet proves that you're impervious to water um, it's it's I mean I think that it really concerns me because I I think you know having been in the audience development business and in the market development business my whole life um, I look at the people who I think are extremely successful and doing well and and who are very savvy and they understand how to build a base of collectors and that's the game that matters mm-hmm. um, I think get you know getting the most money for what you do is such a transparent objective to people watching you and I, I don't think people understand that it costs it costs you respect mm-hmm. in a big way um, it costs the artisan respect when they do that um, one of the things that I mean, I look at myself. I can't justify spending boatloads of money for individual pieces. Do I have Nanas and Lars? Yes, I have them. Am I going to buy them on a regular basis? No way. I'm not spending three thousand dollars for a pipe. I think it's in, it, it's inappropriate given my means and and uh, given the the needs of my family and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if other people want to do that, um, I don't, I don't criticize them for it. I think that's fine. Uh, but I think that when one looks at, I, I mean, I think it's different. Lars makes very few pieces relatively, and he is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the the uh, one of the great makers um, and the great shape innovators. I mean, I think he puts it all together in a great way. But there are a lot of artisans out there. They're not Lars, and the fact that Lars charges what he does doesn't mean anything about them. I would say to artisans, be af- you know, don't be afraid to have your to speak with your own voice. Create shapes and pieces from your inner voice. Don't go out there and um, think about what the market wants and try to make that you know be authentic. This is one of the things I love about Stephen Downey. I mean, in my overall best estate acquisition, it's Stephen Downey's Wraith, um, which I don't know if, if you've ever seen, but it's it will never be produced again. Uh, Stephen is an amazing artist and artisan, and you know, if you if one looks at his work, 
we, you know, what you cannot help but know that this is an honest artist. This is yeah. someone yeah. who creates from his inner voice. I think, I think, uh, and, and I admire him so much. I look at Adam Davidson. I mean, the, Adam Davidson is artistically a polymath. He's un- he is a little pipe making Mozart um, with enormous technical skills and design skills and aesthetic skills and a great eye and, and a huge amount of heart. Um, uh, and I look at his work. I mean, I have a big number of pieces from him and it's not, I'm not buying them as investments. Um, even though I know they're going to be worth a lot more someday than they are now. Um, I buy them because the man's exploration of possibilities in, in making pipes, is playful and broad, as broad as the African continent. I mean, there is no place he won't go to try something out, and it makes his work full of surprises and interesting, but technically they're really extraordinary. So what do Stephen and Adam have in common? Um, they speak with their own voice. And, you know, it's why I love Will's, Purdy's work. It's why I love Alex Lorov's work. Um, Jack Howell is another artist that I admire enormously and I admire him because he makes great pieces that smoke really well and he makes them for modest amounts of money and you know Jack brings a quality of humility to his pipe making that shows up there is an honesty and integrity in his work that is just extraordinary Um you know, I've spoken about Brad. I think you know uh, artisans who who show up in their work mm-hmm. are really interesting to me. There are so many great artisans out there. It's 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 a hard thing. I mean, there are some to whom I would never, who I wouldn't give any advice. Who I just think are doing everything right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, I look at Rad Davis. I think Rad Davis does everything right. I mean, he he offers unbelievable value. I am. I find I buy three or four Rad Davises a year. They are I have a couple of Rad Davises in my collection that I defy anyone to find more lyrical, elegant, expressive, lush, almost erotically seductive shaping. I mean, he is capable of producing pipe shapes that are so gorgeous that and you know he's just he just did an innovation on the Zulu, which is very interesting, but his Rhodesians are exquisite. Um, and here's a guy who can place a pipe in a block perfectly, who can sandblast uh, with the best of them, who, whose work is, finished work is exquisite. And, you know, I mean, anyone of modest means can afford to buy Rad Davis and can afford to buy the best work that Rad makes. You know, if, if one's giving advice to artisans, I mean, the, I think the most important thing is, to me, is I'm interested in, in seeing people show up who are really speaking with, from their own voice and are saying what they're, you know, who they are. Um, my, I don't, I collect mainly North American artisans. I, I, there is one significant departure that I've taken, and that's Cornelius Mines. Um, I've been collecting his work uh, for quite a while. I've commissioned pieces from him. I mean, the man's just incredible. Yeah. His work is 
so beautifully composed and consistent and his his mouthpiece work is just spectacular and he's one of the nicest people in the world uh, and he's you know he's also you know he's trained as an artist and as a designer and it shows up in his work it, in the, you can look at a pipe and know it's a mind instantly um, I think cultivating that quality of, you know, recognizability is extremely important. I mean, if, if someone looks at a pipe and no one can tell who made it, I think that signals that there's an issue there. That's very interesting. That kind of um, artistic sense that either comes out or, or lies dormant within the piece. And uh, if it speaks to you and if it comes out and you say, oh, okay, that's, I know whose work that is. Um, that definitely does um, communicate on a, on a completely different level, and it makes those pieces speak to us a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I think it's – I'm a collector of fairly modest means. I wish I was rich. I'm not. Um, if I was, I might um, have racks full of Conovitzes and, and Lars and, you know, Teddies and Tukatumis, the all of which are – you know, quite expensive and and I think also quite beautiful pieces. So my focus, you know, you know, m the limitation within which I work is is primarily financial, and I'm actually glad for that because, you know, I can't solve the problem of having a great collection by just buying the most expensive pipe for sale that week. Yeah. Um, and letting other people who are setting prices in the market sort of uh, let let sort of the 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 vox populi of the marketplace decide what's worthy and what isn't. Um, I have to use my sensibilities and my intelligence, and I and I have to, you know, I'm forced to really evaluate and look. And and you know, I think most people would be surprised that most of the pieces that I have in my collection are, you know, by comparative standards, really quite modest in price. Um, when I was first starting out buying, you know, I bought a lot of estates um, because it's what I could afford. You know, I have some of those still, and I don't have others. Um, but you know, it is in the process of, I, I think, of collecting that we develop our own sensibilities and, to some extent, our own voices. Collectors, we begin to understand, you know, what appeals to us. And what doesn't? I find that very, very interesting. You know, especially um, as you see your your collection kind of move and morph over the months and years as you go. You see what you keep and what you get rid of, and how it fluctuates, and how that kind of how that tide changes. You kind of get to know yourself a little bit more, and you get to know what you've absolutely got to hold on to, and why. And and that kind of informs your decision about future purchases and and what carvers you tend to. Uh, keep with and, and which ones you don't. Tell me a little bit about that as far as how your collection has changed over the years. Well, I think it's, I think that's an interesting question because I, that's one in which I'm, I, I actually ask myself a lot. And I, you know, this year when I went to uh, Chicago and to Richmond, it was kind of a surprising situation because, or excuse me, to Richmond, because I took zero pipes to sell. Um, because I'd sort of decided that I didn't really want to sell anything. I, and I have sold a, a quite a number of pieces in over the years. My, I think on the one hand, my collect, my collecting strategy has 
or what I'm interested in has shifted in the sense that I'm I'm more interested in pure expressions than I am in in super fancy sort of uh, a friend of mine calls them cathedral type pipes that are not practical to smoke. Um, and so I'm you know I'm looking not so much at what's there as what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I I think functionality it, it has become part of my aesthetic value. So if a pipe is, is actually you know friendly to the hand and balanced and light and um, and and beautiful, uh, then uh, then I tend to want to keep it. And it's not just about you know great grain. There are a lot of people who are you know, I think really fixated on having the most, you know, knockout straight grain pipes they can, but it's sort of like that's the only way that they know how to judge what's good and what isn't. Mm-hmm. I have a Yuki Tokatumi little apple that has a, an ivory stem and an ivory trim ring, and the, the bowl itself has, has almost no straight grain on it anywhere. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, what makes that pipe amazing is the shape and the, the contrast um, in colors between this sort of um, beautiful yellow bowl color and this white, quite bit in trim ring, and it is just absolutely so incredibly simple. Uh, it's all about the composition, and if that pipe were, you know, had a spectacular straight, 360 degree straight grain, and spectacular contrast staining, um, it wouldn't work. It would, it would literally. The, as a piece, not nearly have the integrity that it does now because it's almost as if the wood's grain um, completely steps back so that all the eye appreciates is the shape. So, you know, for me, what I'm keeping and what I love are those pieces that where the shape is really, really exquisite and the relationship between shape and grain is complementary. Um, there are times, I mean, for instance, with the the little spaghetti bamboo by Adam Davidson, it looks like the the pipe was literally blown out of the end of the bamboo. When you look at the the, the pattern of the sandblast, um, it 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 comes out of the end of the bamboo literally at a radial a radial arc. Um, so I mean, it's just extraordinary the way that the wood works. And so you know, the pieces that I keep are those pieces that that have it all where everything comes together and makes the composition, you know, gives it a kind of totality and a kind of integrity on its own. You know, I look, I have a John Bull Bulldog by Brad Pullman, which has absolutely without a doubt, the most extraordinary sandblast I've ever seen. It's Brad's top grade. And it was the first um, John Bull that, that he made and he was unbelievably proud of it. Um, and, and it's it's an incredible shape in addition to being an incredible blast. And it has the sort of, you know, nitpicking perfectionistic, fussy attention to detail in every aspect that Brad brings. And so, you know, as a piece, you know, it, it just has it all. And I think that that's, you know, that's what I'm interested in. Um, I'm not nearly so interested in those pieces that where you know, just something is just not right. And those pieces tend to go away. 
And somehow that's communicated through these wonderful little sculptures that uh, that we are so involved in. Isn't that uh, just kind of amazing? You know, and the thing is, yeah, the the gestalt there is is about the you know the artisan's ability to make everything integral to everything else. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Dye, just recently got a Tyler Lane from Tyler Beard, um, which a Danish egg, which. Uh, you know, I have never so been so upset that I did not get a pipe because I collect Tyler's work and he doesn't make pipes anymore or makes them to sell at least makes them very very rarely and Mike got that pipe and it's killing me you know because it is you know it is so fantastic yeah. <laughs> it is perfect yeah. and and here is the guy that you know for, you know he's a minister. Uh, you know, I've got a number of pieces, and they believe me, the guy—I mean, the guy made absolutely fantastic pipes, and I have kept every one I've ever gotten. And it's because you know he had the ability to create the sense of unity. I, I think that's what makes Lars so extraordinary, and uh, you know, and that's what I see in Adam Davidson's work as well. I mean, though you know, occasionally I see works where I, I don't think the pipe works so well because you know he's really pushed the envelope. Um, a lot of the time, you know, they really hang together really, really well. Neil, the insight that you have uh, to the pipe world is really astonishing. And I want to just say thank you so much for doing what you do with your blog. I appreciate it. So many other people appreciate it. What can we expect in 2009 from Neil Archeron? Well, you know, I, I I don't know. Actually, I wish I could answer that question. Um it's uh, 2009. I think people are wondering, you know, what their life's going to be like uh, in 2009. I I have had plans and have been working on writing a book um, about uh, the leading pipe partisans of our time, and I've got uh, four chapters done and various other parts kind of sketched out. So my hope is to actually write that book and to get that done. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take me, but um, it's something that I'm very interested in doing. You know, I'm going to be looking sort of at, at continuing to look at the carvers that enter and that emerge and also tr trying to keep track of the changes um, in those car uh, artisans that we see now and what they're doing and writing about that and trying to capture what their journey is. To me, that those are the people that are the most interesting, the ones who are not stationary, but the ones who are really moving. And I think they're you know, there are going to be people to watch. I don't, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the pipe world in the coming year. You know, will um, will the economy really uh, impact and depress the attendance at the Chicago show is a question that I have. Um, you know, what will be the impact of the new show that's going to be taking place in Las Vegas on the other shows? Uh, I, I think we're all concerned about what the... Um, new administration and Congress are going to do with respect to taxation of tobacco products and the ship bill. I think uh, there's a great deal of pessimism that, that uh, there's going to, there, there are going to be very, very substantial taxes on tobacco products that are going to, especially in the cigar industry that are going to, that may derive a lot of bricks and mortar uh, operations out of business. Um, so, and it may also drive a lot of people to pipes because pipe tobacco is um, is so incredibly economical 
and requires a lot less tobacco, obviously, than smoking a cigar. So, you know, I'll be my intention is to pay attention to the landscape and to how it changes and to write about that um, and to try to do it with generosity and respect and uh, affection for everybody in the hobby. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I mean, uh, I, I could talk to you for days. You have just just a real um, unique and thorough insight into the pipe world. Keep on keeping on. Thank you very thanks. much. Thanks again, Neil. You're welcome. And that was episode 15, a chat with Neil Archer Roan of A Passion for Pipes. You can find A Passion for Pipes online at apassionforpipes.com. Neil is a great guy with a really amazing understanding of the pipe world. His insight is very thorough, and you can see that in his writing on his blog. Go there and check it out. Bookmark that page, and go ahead and subscribe to the RSS feed so that you're sure to get them all the time. This podcast was brought to you by J. Rinaldi Pipes. Go to jrinaldipipes.com and check out John Rinaldi's work. It's truly gorgeous. Great pipes that are great smokers. I highly recommend check them out today. Well, that's it for episode number 15. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm Oli with Oompal.com, wishing you very good luck trying to figure out which post of Neil's is your absolute favorite. I know which one mine is. Take care. <laughs>